0: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, um, that's a good question. I teach a um, a, a course, an educational course. Um, called From Wizards to Wormholes, Introduction to Fantasy and Sci-Fi Literature. And, um, and that, um, that course got me reading, um, you know, from a wide variety of science fiction and fantasy sources. And one thing I began to notice as I started reading um, authors like um, Robert A. Heinlein and, you know, Gregory Benford and F. Paul Wilson, and um, Ayn Rand and many other authors is that there's a serious um, libertarian strain, um, sort of peaks and valleys of libertarian thought that run throughout the history of um, science fiction, not only in, um, in, in the minds of authors, but uh, in, in publishing as well, uh, many of the uh, famous um, sci-fi editors were liberty-loving people. Um, And uh, then I started reading this book and I'll hold I'll hold the book up here. It's called Astounding. Um, It's by Alec Novella Lee. And uh, I started reading more about the influential science fiction writers and editors. And I started realizing that there was a real libertarian strain in science fiction. and, And the question that precipitated the article that you brought me on to talk about, um, was what's the connection? Is it necessary or is it contingent, right? Um, um, Does it just so happen to be the case that libertarians are kind of outcasts and um, uh, they're imaginative, intelligent people who sit down and write novels and that's just a coincidence? Or is it the case that there's something to science fiction um, is is the soil rich, as I put it in my article for Libertarian um, Themes and Ideas, and it turns out that um, it it is a necessary connection, and you're going to continue to have. Um, libertarian writers in the genre of science fiction, um, and uh, you see that with, you know, you have the Prometheus Awards, you have a an isolated separate libertarian sci-fi award uh, that is given every year because there's just so much libertarian science fiction. You have publishing houses that, you know, half their writers are, are libertarians, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, uh, it, it caught my attention and, and I really wanted to dig deep and explore it. And I found that uh, there really is a rich history of libertarianism in uh, science fiction. There are so many things really. Um, I would say that if I had to rank order them, uh, one of the most important things in um, libertarianism is that unlike uh, conservatism, unlike uh, leftism or progressivism, um, I apologize for that. I don't know why that's coming through. Um, Libertarianism is about choice it's about freedom it's about market solutions um, it's not about restrictionism it's not about protectionism it's not about boundaries and and borders it is about um you'll, you'll find that libertarians are open to things like uh, genetic engineering and uh, experimental drugs and nuclear power and cloning um, and i would say that libertarianism is all about technological optimism and you know, it's very difficult to um, conceive of a sort of ardently sort of Burkean conservative uh, science fiction author, because as the professor Alicia Bashirabando from University of Pittsburgh puts it, sci-fi is the genre that considers what strange new beings we might become, what mechanical forms we might invent for our bodies, what networks and systems might nourish or tap our life energies, and what machine shells might contain our souls. And, you know, tradcons run for the hills. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's about openness. It's about radical new ideas. And I think one of the other things that's often overlooked is that, um, libertarianism has never fully been tried I know that's something that the socialists and the Marxists like to say but um, libertarianism really actually has never been um, tried and so um far-flung futures um you uh you know dystopian and utopian worlds um uh you know um, space operas that explore um, different galaxies and planets and different ways of living and different modes of life and different organizational structures. This is the perfect place. Science fiction is the perfect place to explore um, what a libertarian government uh, might look like. Um, So there's definitely all of that. But one other thing that I would say is really important. uh, One of the reasons you see that there's a kind of libertarian ethos in science fiction, even when the fiction's being written by someone who would consider themselves to be left-wing, is that um, you often see that dystopian fiction is a genre which by its very nature takes on a libertarian flavor. Dystopian fiction is almost always going to be science fictional uh, because the dystopian elements almost always have uh, futuristic connotations or Um, is involved with how the technology is being used to spy on individuals or oppress them uh, and things like that. And so totalitarianism, war, um, wide-scale oppression is almost always carried out by state force. And so typically the narrative the the, the the themes that will run th- throughout a dystopian novel are going to be about freedom from negative liberty um voluntarism natural rights right things that oppose that um that oppressive force um and things like that so um i would say that th- that's a good start for us. Um, I think that the connection between science fiction and liberty is certainly a necessary one and is tied to certain fundamentals of the genre, openness to experience. Uh, libertarians are very open-minded. Uh, they believe in competition and freedom to pursue your own ends and, and, and things like that. So I would say that that's a kind of a basket of things that um, that, that can kind of explain why there are so many libertarian science fiction authors. Um, yeah, I mean, um, some of that is um, some of that is tied to um, the elements that are necessary in the sort of Campbellian story arc. I think um, in many cases, um, the, the stories that we tell, the meta stories that we tell, are inherently. Um, optimistic as a society anyways um, but I think that's especially true of I think libertarianism in general is an optimistic um, outlook as you said when you read a work of um, dystopian fiction the heroes um, oftentimes win in the end it's very rare I mean 1984 is an example of a book that ends in a very bleak fashion um, but I think that you're right there's a there's an um, there's a there's a technological optimism there's a There's a rugged individualism um, that says that the individual is not all he or she can be, and that um, just given the right amount of freedom, um, removing the the sort of um, necessary obstacles, the individual left alone can fully flourish in a society that values life, liberty, and um, and property. So I, I do think that there's something there to that, that you're saying that there's a kind of optimism that you see in the works of Robert Heinlein. Um, there's a an optimism that you see in um, many of these dystopian works of fiction. Um, and I think that you see that because um, libertarianism is an outlook that values choice, uh, freedom, um, problem solving, the idea that we're not just locked into our class, we're not just locked into our race, we're not just locked into um, these old sort of um, unmovable systems, fixed six systems, um, that there's movement, that there's mobility, um, and that the individual freed from arbitrary constraints can pursue their own happiness. And I think um, happiness is something that you see in, the the idea of happiness and what it would take is something you see in all um, libertarian science fiction, or at least most of it. Yeah, um, I think that's true. Um, I think you see with traditional literary fiction, it's mostly set in the present day world. It's set in the historical past. Uh, in the past, things have already occurred and taken place. So there's not as much room to play. Science fiction makes it much easier for authors to to explore, to, to create, um, to make things happen that are not currently possible. Um, uh, I, I don't know about you, but uh, living in America right now, it's very difficult to imagine um, the United States ever going back to being a kind of a country with limited government. And that same sort of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit that you saw in the 19th and um, mid-20th centuries, late 20th centuries, it's hard to see um, – our society going back to that, uh, you get a blank slate with science fiction. You get to create the world over from scratch, um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and also one of the things that's, that's, um, that's overlooked is that, um, one of the most sort of popular trends in, um, science fiction in general is this idea of the competent man or even the competent woman. This, this, this individual you see this even in um andy weirs the martian you have one man and you have the planet of mars and he has to use his reason there's a reason that uh the, the the world's number one libertarian magazine is called reason uh magazine because it's oftentimes science fiction is about the heroic individual having to reason their way through obstacles that are put in in their way um in outer space right uh you're if you can't you know fix your spaceship um you're in a lot of trouble because you die if you can't fix your spaceship um uh when you're in the middle of nowhere um if you're andy weir if you're if you're uh if you're the main character of the martian you need to be able to grow plants you need to be able to start civilization over from scratch um so a a lot of science fiction is that Western frontier tradition of fiction that you saw in the early um, dime novels and and in the pulp fiction. Um, It's taking those themes of the sort of frontier Western and applying them to space, right? Boldly going where no one has gone before, and then creating civilization, creating order out of chaos. And I think that's something that appeals to libertarians, especially. Yeah, and uh, one interesting thing is that there there's a um, there's a show out there, um, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's by Ridley Scott, um, something about Masters of Science Fiction. Uh, I forget the title, but it's a it's a documentary series by Ridley Scott about the way in which science fiction authors like um, Mary Shelley, uh, like Isaac Asimov, like Robert Heinlein, um, have in many ways driven the science rather than the other way around. So um, it, the, the whole documentary series explores how ideas from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, scientists have been chasing um, the fruition of those ideas for a really long time. So things like um, cloning, uh, things like um, stem cells um, and and, um, and things like that, um, prosthetics um, that sort of mary shelley implanted in the popular imagination and then scientists are asking the question well how can this be done and mary shelley's frankenstein of course the answer is well uh victor frankenstein is this is a scientific genius there's no government to put obstacles in his way um he studies the ancient um alchemical uh masters like paracelsus and albertus magnus and he Uh, uses his reason and his innovation and his creativity to create uh, life anew, Uh, and uh, that whole documentary series is about, in many ways, how fiction, how science fiction has driven scientific innovation rather than the other way around, that it's science fiction authors dreaming up uh, where science could go in the future and scientists chasing that, and he makes that sustained case over the course of that entire documentary. Yeah, and I suppose um, I mean if you think about Reagan, Reagan grew up reading science fiction. He loved um, science fiction films. He he read uh, avidly. He read the John Carter of Mars uh, stories. Um, and Reagan, of course, was an actor in all of these uh, genre films and B movies and things like that. And so, being an actor, Reagan had this very dramatic sense of um, of what was possible and you know, you know, in his mind, uh, there was nothing um, odd about having um, about having a network of orbiting uh, battle stations, shooting lasers at um, intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, in the middle of the Cold War um, to make sure that you could uh, shoot down any, you know, like thing that threatened your country. Reagan uh of course uh his his critics this is called SDI the strategic defense initiative um you know his critics mockingly called it star wars because Reagan really did believe that it was possible to um to have something like this people were saying it was like something out of a space opera novel but um you know Reagan thought that it was that it was possible and in fact um, one of the interesting things about um about that whole thing was that reagan actually hired a bunch of science fiction authors to be on his um citizens advisory uh on national space policy um he put people on there like larry niven who is a libertarian um these are sci-fi authors jerry pornell who is Uh, conservative libertarian. Jim Bain, uh, who is, who, Bain Books is named after Jim Bain. Uh, Bain Books is one of the publishing houses that publishes a lot of libertarian authors. Robert Heinlein, who was an ardent uh, libertarian Poole Anderson, they were all on Reagan's Citizen Advisory Council to try to make up the technical plans, right? The arguments, the phrases that Reagan would would use to announce SDI to the public in 1983. Um, these were written by libertarian sci-fi authors, and so um, many people just don't know the history um, about how influential that has been, um, and um, and you know um, and and how. In many ways, science fiction drives policy and drives the science rather than the other way around. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it, uh, and I would say it's a healthy distrust of of state power. Um, I suppose you can you can look at it like that, or you can look at it how I do, which is that libertarianism is about the idea that the burden of proof should always be on government to explain why they need to take away my. Um, fundamental liberties that precede government. Um, the, the purpose of government is the protection of natural rights. Um, certainly in the in the West and in the American tradition, uh, America gets its foundational principles in large part from folks like Montesquieu and Locke. It's about saying that the burden of proof is on you, government, uh, to explain why it is absolutely necessary for you to take away my liberties rather than me having to make the argument that you shouldn't take away my liberties. The burden of proof is on you. I don't have to prove that negative. For me, a libertarian is someone who believes that people know best how to make their own choices and how to run their own lives. A libertarian believes that society is best organized when government gets out of people's way, And sticks to what it's best at which is protecting our life liberty and property our negative rights and it's about the idea that the organizing unit of society should not be the group it should not be the state it should not be even the family that's a conservative idea which is fine but libertarians believe that the fundamental organizing unit of society should be the individual um, and that the government should be basically a night watchman state Right, a, a minimal state, you know, protecting citizens from foreign and domestic threats and giving citizens as much as possible voluntarism, choice, right, follows the, 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 the non aggression principle, reason, freedom of association, free markets. And I think those things are very optimistic um, desires. And I think um, I, I see it as an optimistic thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um and I so I think a lot of it has to do with openness to change. As I pointed out in my article, when you actually do a study of who watches um, science fiction films and who reads science fiction um, literature, it skews heavily to people who possess a psychometric personality trait called um, openness to experience. So people who are open to new ideas, uh, to new experiences, to travel, uh, to to art that pushes boundaries and taboos are often liberals and libertarians, um, and And I would would say also that it's because most innovation happens in the free market when individuals are free to pursue their own ends. And an example of someone like Elon Musk, this is someone with all the odds stacked against him who is succeeding at being innovative despite our big government, despite our restrictionist policies, despite high taxes. despite um, states that are hostile um, to his very existence and the existence of his uh, various companies, um, you know, the slogan in America right now on both the left and the right is break up big tech, break up big business, break up big industry. Um, And, um, you know, uh, people come down hard on Ayn Rand, but um, you're kind of starting to see um, and i know people say this all the time people said this in the 20th century um it's one of the reasons reagan was elected but um you're starting to see a, a slide into that um uh you know anti-competition um you know uh anti-freedom of association um you know populism just destroy these companies break them up distribute all the fruits um uh, and, and all of that sort of thing but i think um i think that A big part of this is that innovation happens when individuals are free to pursue their own ends, engage in competition, and respond to market incentives. Um, And so that's, I guess that's what I would say to that, yeah. I do think that's accurate, and for anyone who's interested in, in why that, that probably is accurate, um, you probably uh, I would recommend to read Jonathan Haidt's book, um, The Righteous Mind, um, Why Good People are Divided by Politics and Religion. Um, obviously, for anyone who's read that book, that book is advancing something called Moral Foundations Theory, um, which is basically the idea that um, we're born um, with these certain moral foundations, that certain people are predisposed to be more conservative for a variety of reasons, and certain people are predisposed to be uh, more liberal uh, or more libertarian. And um, I do think that is the case. And um, I think, you know, as, as with most things, Some of it is shaped by um, genetics. Some of it is shaped by culture um, and and how you grow up and things like that. But I do think that some people are predisposed to hold some beliefs rather than uh, other beliefs, just to answer your question concisely. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, two sides to that coin, I would say, because you do see science fiction, um, like Uh, you know, Isaac Asimov's foundation where everything really is outdated. It hasn't aged very well. They're making it into a show. Apple is nevertheless, but, you know, science fiction writers of the fifties often predicted a future in which people were flying in these ships that could travel near the speed of light. And yet they're still watching, um, they're still using cassettes or playing records or, um, you know, using, um, you know, F- using film reels and tapes and uh, and and microfilm and things like that. So it kind of, it works both ways, but to answer your question, I do think, yes, it does have a staying power and certain authors are better that it, at it than others. Um, Frank Herbert's Dune, for example, runs on this premise. It is so deeply far into the future. It runs on this premise that eventually we become so powerful and technologically advanced that our AI robot overlords take us over and we fight a war to free ourselves from them, the Butlerian Jihad and then uh deep we so we learn a lesson from that and we decide never to make computers uh in the likeness of man's mind and so what you see in frank herbert's Dune is an intentionally uh far-flung future in which the technology in some areas is super advanced and in other areas it isn't advanced but i agree with your point i think sci-fi has a real staying power if you enter bookstores in the united states and you enter the fantasy and sci-fi section those book sections are growing the literary book sections are shrinking the genre sections are exploding um sci-fi and fantasy are selling really well right now and the in the section in in the bookstores keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they inspire fan fiction for example in a way that um literary fiction doesn't right so there's this element of fandom as well that enters into it with science fiction um and i think there's also an aspect of escapism as well when things are contentious in the culture right now um America is extremely uh, polarized in a way that it hasn't been since probably the Civil War or at least 1968. Um, it's actually really, really refreshing to escape into science fiction um, as a kind of release, as a kind of catharsis from that. But I agree with your point. I think just by its very nature, science fiction is, is and it depends what type of science fiction, there's hard science fiction, there's soft science fiction, there's all sorts of, um, there's first contact novels, but it's forward-looking and that's another way that we can connect this back to libertarianism is libertarianism is forward-looking um, it's not afraid to uh, confront difference it's not afraid to ask what we might become and, and it's not going to run in the other direction from that um and um it's sci- sci-fi is by its very nature it's forward-looking um i i particularly quite love hard science fiction which is all about extrapolating out from the present time looking at technological trends where are we now with AI with cell phones with communications technology uh where are we now with our medical technology what do our governing systems look look like and then logically extrapolating that out into the future I think one of the best science fiction authors working today his name is Alistair Reynolds um and he actually is an astrophysicist um, and he before he wrote his first book, he was working as an astrophysicist for the European Space Agency, Space Union, whatever it was, um, and became a science fiction author because it turned out he was incredibly good at looking forward and predicting what, for example, um, um, how are we going to live longer in the future? How, how would that happen? Um, are we going to ever be able to upload our consciousnesses? Right. Well, uh, in in Alistair Reynolds, there's alpha and beta simulations. So once people die, you can actually save their consciousness and have them in these capsules and have conversations with them. Um, So I would say that the good work being done in science fiction, there's a reason why it's being done by libertarians and by liberals and progressives. These are people who aren't afraid to look to the future and ask these really hard questions about what it's going to look like. I do too. I think it's one of the best things about genre fiction is that um, it it promotes and encourages that sort of thing. Um, You know, I was listening to an interview with George R. R. Martin uh, a couple of weeks ago or a couple days ago, and he was explaining how um, eventually his fans came to know more than him about the book because he just sits in his office and thinks up these ideas and tries to make them consistent and writes them down. He has these fans that have read his book 30 times, and he said eventually, I had to break down and just hire two of them um, because they were catching things in my work um one of them's name is ilio and the other one's name is linda i forget their last names but he has these two super fans who are noticing things like well the horse is the wrong sex you made it this sex here you made it that there were you meaning to do that probably not um this this person has a different eye color did you notice that and um and so I think that is a really fantastic um, element of it. You don't see the same thing. You see fans, right? people who really love Toni Morrison or people who really love Cormac McCarthy, but you see it to a totally different degree. And I think it's really important that science fiction and fantasy literature are, are culture producing, right? They And a lot of this actually pertains to the history, uh, the unique history of science fiction going all the way back to the pulps. Um, when, when you uh, sci- science fiction, yes, proto science fiction started with folks like Jules Verne and uh, Mary Shelley, but science fiction gets really big in the 20th century with the pulps, and it kind of starts with these magazines, and these magazines are. Um, Asking for queries from their readers, they are um, allowing their readers to participate in little games that they put in these magazines, like Astounding Magazine or Amazing Magazine or weird, uh, you know, uh, Weird Science Magazine or uh, whatever. There are a bunch of these um, pulp magazines. And the editors are working together to try to shape the tastes of the audiences. The audiences in turn are trying to shape the direction of, of the magazines. There was a period there between like 1930 and 1960 uh, where the magazines themselves uh, had a loyal fan base. The authors themselves didn't have the fan base. The pulp magazines had, um, had a fan base. And that's how you get the golden age of science fiction. And then of course you get you know the birth of science fiction as a genre is intimately um uh uh, tied into the the convention model right um you'll notice that fantasy and sci-fi have these conventions in every city and fans show up as you pointed out dressed in costumes they attend uh author panels where the authors explain their writing style or their motivation. I think that's one of the beautiful things about genre fiction, but especially science fiction and fantasy. And I think also um, that is why you're seeing sci-fi shows, Max, um, show up. Um, one after the other, whether it's Game of Thrones or The Expanse. The Expanse was based on um, a series of novels by James S.A. Corey, um, and just one after the other, these shows are coming out. You mentioned uh, Stargate. You know, I like. I tend to like, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica, um, The Expanse, um, things like that. So, yeah, I think there's really um, rich soil, I would say, um, in the culture right now. I think people are really into this escapism. Um, dreaming up what the future might look like, um, and pretty people get pretty pumped about it. Yeah, I do think that's the case, and I think that went overlooked um, for a really long time. Um, There is so much science fiction out there that is literary, that is smart, that is highbrow, that's sophisticated. Um, It's kind of what the new wave was all about. It was was all about kind of trying to take that sort of early Campbellian uh, golden age sci-fi and make it less sort of Marvel action, blockbuster, um, cheap thrills, and try to make it more nuanced, more sophisticated. Writers like Ursula Le Guin, right, um, you know, uh, in her book, The Dispossessed, which, by the way, speaking of libertarian science fiction, is about an uh, anarchist society and what that would look like and how that would come about. Uh, novels like The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, these are these are works of literature, right? Um, uh, and I would just say that that was something that was overlooked for a really long time is this idea that, well, this is just cheap stuff that, you know, that children like that, you know, that, that, that is just cheap thrills or something like that. So much of science fiction is brilliantly um, written. Um, some of it's literary. The soft science fiction is um, highly literary. Um, you have uh, even works of libertarian science fiction, um, No Truce with Kings, The Great Explosion. Um, I mentioned The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, but also Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert A. Heinlein and um, and um, also his Starship Troopers. These aren't just fun, they're well-written books. Um, and um, I would say that, yeah, that's true, that you see... You see an element of organization, of technical brilliance, of command of the the um, the elements of storytelling um, that um, you don't see in a lot of. So, for example, I I think I think you don't see that highbrow literary quality with uh, detective fiction still, uh, not since Poe, I suppose you could say. Um, there are some great mystery writers, but I would say that that's not their romance is another genre. It doesn't quite have, um, the literary quality of, um, fantasy and science fiction. So I would say, yeah, that too. Yeah, that's a really good point that you make. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun.